Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knudsen had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Knudsen, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed and achieve in their civil engineering careers. I hope this finds you doing well wherever you are in the world and whatever project you're working on. It finds me doing great here in Stuttgart, Germany. In today's episode, I get the opportunity to talk with Mickey Addison, a career military officer, author, civil engineer, and senior leader about leadership. This is going to be a great resource episode for both engineering CEOs and young engineers who are interested in knowing what it takes to lead at the senior level. Mickey's going to hit on how you can grow leaders in your engineering company at low to no cost. We're going to unpack his three steps for civil engineering leaders that are navigating and implementing organizational change. And then we're going to talk about the role that mentoring and coaching plays in a civil engineer's career development success. But before I dive into the main segment of the show, I just want to give a shout out to our friends Brian and Lisa over at SE University. They're helping Anthony and I out with an upcoming project that we're working on. And if you don't know who SE University is or what they do, they're a subscription-based educational resource for structural engineers. They provide live web seminars along with additional technical content. And for more information, go check them out. They're over at learnwithseu.com. That's learnwithseu, all one word, dot com. And Brian and Lisa, thanks a lot for your support. All right, now it's time to jump into today's civil engineering conversation with leading leaders, Mickey Addison. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for this week's civil engineering conversation. And today I'm very fortunate to be joined by a fellow Air Force civil engineer and friend, Mickey Addison. A successful civil engineer, Mickey is also a career military officer, a blogger, and author, and is a frequent contributor to military newspapers and journals, including Air Force Print News, Armed Forces Journal, and The Military Engineer. Mickey is a contributing author also over at generalleadership.com. We've got some links in the show notes for you. You can go check out some of his great articles over there. And he's also founded his own hobby publishing company, Lead the Way Media. Mickey is passionate about inspiring people to be their best and leading organizations to high levels of performance. And as an Air Force Civil Engineering Officer, Mickey has handled national portfolios totaling billions of dollars. He's presented on dozens of topics to senior leaders in government, industry, state, and federal government, and worked with international business and government executives in a dozen countries in Asia, Europe, and the Middle East. Mickey holds a Bachelor of Science in Industrial Engineering from Texas A&M University and three master's degrees, Military Strategy and Operational Art from the Air University, Civil Engineering from the University of Texas in San Antonio, and Resourcing National Strategy from the National Defense University. Mickey, welcome and thanks for joining me on the uh, Civil Engineering Podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, doing great. Aloha from the 50th state. It's good to be here and thanks for having me on, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's great to have you on here. We've got a super our episode lined up for uh, for all the listeners out there because we're going to be diving into a topic that I'm really passionate about. I know you are as well. And that is the topic of leadership. So it's going to be a good one today. Before we move into the interview, I just want to remind everyone that the show notes for today's episode are at civilengineeringpodcast.com or just go over to engineeringcareercoach.com, select the podcast tab at the top of the menu and the Civil Engineering Podcast, and then just check out the Engineering Career Coach Podcast while you're there. Show notes are going to contain a summary of all the key points discussed in today's interview, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or other books that we're going to mention during the episode. 
And Mickey, I know you're a, you're a voracious reader. I am as well. I suspect we'll probably have a few books that are going to be linked up in the show notes for this one today. Oh, yeah, you bet. All right. We're going to jump in here, and I want to have you share just a little bit about your civil engineering journey and weave in some of that leadership journey as well, just to just to give the listeners a feel for what it means to be a senior civil engineer in the, in the Air Force and, and some of the leadership challenges that you faced and successes that you face as well. Well, hey, thanks. So, I, you know, I started off like uh, most civil engineers in the Air Force. I started off as a lieutenant and uh, doing design work as an industrial engineer. I didn't I wasn't in the design section, but I took over a small construction management organization and, and we did a, what was called Sabres, which was a simplified contracting method. For, so I did a lot of construction as a lieutenant, you know, just enjoyed it. When I first got my first assignment to go to Mountain Home Air Force Base in, in Idaho, I thought, wow, I'm going to be going filling potholes in the desert. But uh, but actually it was, uh, it was a great unit and we had a great mission and I've really enjoyed it and quickly moved, as most officers do, off the out of the design and the technician phase really into the the leadership and management phase. I was pretty lucky almost uh, immediately in my first assignment to get a chance to lead our combat competition team. It was called Readiness Challenge. And I had just a number of just really outstanding leadership opportunities. Got a chance to command a squadron as a captain, which is pretty rare, small squadron at Kelly Air Force Base of 85. And I've been privileged in the Air Force to command three engineering squadrons and a mission support group. My mission support group command was at the Air Force Academy. And and, you know, every time I, I learn from the people around me, I've been mentored by some great senior NCOs and civilian, you know, engineers and non-engineers alike, as well as some senior officers. And, you know, now at the executive level, I, I command a, a small unit called Detachment 2 of the Air Force Installation and Mission Support Center. And uh, we're leading our air organization, our Air Force, through the change of, of a reorganization and a reorientation of our mission. But, you know, in all of these things, you know, you focus in on what's important and you focus in, you know, primarily on the people that you work with and that you lead and that uh, are your teammates. And what I've learned over the years is uh, the more energy that I put into being present to those people that I lead and work with, the higher performing team that team becomes. And so I, I think, they, you know, I take away from growing as a leader over the years and especially now as executive level is really just you got to be present. You got to be engaged. And, and when the leaders engage, the people are engaged. Well, Mickey, I know that, you know, being engaged, especially at the at the senior level, can be a bit of a challenge, I think, for not only in the military, but even in any of the uh, private sector firms or any other public sector engineering organizations where you have a CEO or a director level who has so many different things that they've got to be focusing on, so many different uh, things that are coming in trying to grab their time. And I know just from my own experience of having worked with senior leaders of the uh, the importance of trying to figure out how to make all that work and schedule it. So I'd like to ask, you obviously have had several years, you've been through a number of different senior leadership opportunities, you've grown, you've been able to put processes in place. I'd be interested to know maybe some of your lessons learned that you've picked up that you could share with the CEO engineering firm that are out there. Let them know, hey, here's some things that have worked for you when it comes to finding out how to apportion your time and how to be able to be present, because I think that could be one of the biggest issues or a big issue of how you separate the time between where you've got to invest in business operations and strategy and all those other aspects, and then making time for your people. That's a great question. You know, and very often when CEOs, senior leaders, executives have that discussion, it quickly devolves into how to manage email. And 
honestly, that should be the last thing we think about. I mean, email is important. Communicating is important. And when we got to spend time doing that, but the people that we work with, the people that we lead, the, the teammates and our colleagues and in, in our other organizations and into the private sector, colleagues are not just people that are in your organization. They're in, sometimes you're in competitors. Sometimes it's other professional societies. And the more senior you become, I think uh, you have to become more focused on the people around you because there's so much, as you just alluded to, pulling on your time. The most successful senior executives, and I've had a chance to see lots of senior executives in both private and public sector as well as in the military, to see them work. The most successful leaders were the ones who really focused on the people around them. And you have to make that a priority. And it doesn't mean it has to consume your entire day because you're exactly right. You do have to balance time that you spend. You do have to do some thinking on strategic level. You do have to engage in with your peers and you do have to go to meetings and make decisions and read papers and sign out staff work. And that's the same, whether you're working in a, a private A&E firm or a, a large public sector organization, like a public works department in a municipality or something like that. But you, you absolutely, the leader has to prioritize and make time for the people that they work with. And, and I do that. I have a several techniques that I do to, to make sure I do that. So first of all, I, I block time in my schedule where I don't allow myself to be scheduled to do things. And not every executive owns their schedule 100%. I certainly don't own mine. I mean, I have a boss and I have customers that may have demands on my time. But if I don't block time that allows me to get out from behind my desk and or get on the phone or do whatever, I think that's the day escapes and suddenly it's five o'clock and everyone's gone home and you miss the opportunity. So you have to be deliberate about it. The other thing I do, you know, a couple other things I do is uh, I keep a stack of cards with my little Colonel's Eagle on the top in my top right hand drawer. And when somebody does something good or praiseworthy, or there's a, a tragedy in somebody's family, you know, I, I make that a priority to be there for those people. And I, I write a handwritten note. I invest my time. I learned that from another senior leader. And I write about it in my book, Leading Leaders, where, you know, he invested maybe 30 seconds of his life, a four-star general when I was a captain. He probably invested 30 seconds of his life to write me a thank you note. But the fact that that four-star who commanded 40,000 troops across the Pacific spent you know, that 30 seconds really meant a lot to me. And so I try to pass on that symbol of concern, you know, that sign that I am concerned and interested. And then you have to know their stories. We have a great chief of staff in, in General Mark Welsh, our chief of staff of the Air Force, and he talks about knowing our people's stories. And you have to know who these people are. And the only way to do that is to spend time with them. So when there is a tragedy in their life or where there are triumphs in their life, you can be there and help celebrate it with them. And and that can be as informal as a pat on the back or, or, or attending a, a memorial service for their spouse or making sure that you remember their birthday with a card or a cupcake or, or whatever. And, and when you get to be a Veer senior executive, you know, you have a personal staff often. You'll have an executive secretary or maybe some assistants to help you with that. And you got to help them understand that being present to people around you is, is important. And then the other thing that I do, the technique I do to make sure my people understand that they're important as well as make them a priority is personnel actions, things that affect people's careers, performance reviews or paperwork to, you know, that it has something to do with their pay or maybe letters of recommendation if they're deciding to move on and go on to do something else. You know, very few people stay with the same company their entire career. You know, if somebody's earned a letter of recommendation from me, if they have earned a commendation or if they've earned something, I make sure and spend the time that that package that certificate of appreciation or letter, letter of recommendation or performance review gets the attention it deserves because those documents outlive you, even your relationship with that employee or teammate. 
you know, I think if you do that, you actually physically engage and you care about the people and you spend time. Clearly, you can't spend eight hours a day walking around being a social worker. That's not what I mean. But you have to carve out time in each day to be present to people. And when people come in into your office and they need to talk to you about something that's important or you walk past someone's workspace and you can tell something's bothering them, you know, make them a priority. Uh, and if, when you do that, I think when you make people a priority, it comes through. One quick story. I know I've gone on a little long here, but I was in Colorado Springs as a mission support group commander, which is kind of analogous to uh, my position at the Air Force Academy. It was kind of analogous to being an executive vice principal or executive vice president for human resources, student services, security, had a long title, but kind of in charge of the physical plant and the people that operated the academy, not the faculty. And uh, so I had gone over to Fort Carson to sign a covenant, a symbolic document with the other members of the senior uh, representatives from each base in the front range on spousal employment, that we were committed to helping military spouses find employment. And I was following the division commander from the infantry division over there and uh, this two-star and we were making our way through the crowd, pretty crowded. We were running a few minutes late and his whole staff was in tow. And this young woman stepped out and he stopped and he talked to her for a minute and he found out that her husband was deployed. And uh, he stopped what he was doing and he focused on her and he looked at her and he spoke to her for a full five minutes. He asked her questions about how her husband was doing, where he was, what his name was, what unit he was assigned. He thanked her for her service to her country as a military spouse and for her husband's service. And as we moved on, he mentioned to his aide, he said, hey, make sure that I check up on her in a couple of weeks. You know, now he's a busy man. He commanded a unit of 10,000 soldiers. And at that time, some of those soldiers were deployed over to Afghanistan. So uh, he had a lot going on, but he took time out of his day to give some time to that young woman. And then I have every reason to believe, I have total confidence that he did personally check up on her well-being and her husband's well-being a couple of weeks later, like he promised. That's engagement. That's being present. And I think that's something that regardless of the job you're doing or what company you work for, public, private, whatever you're working, that kind of leadership presence is the kind of thing that people appreciate and respond to. Those are all great points. And especially this last one on the engagement, because it's it goes two ways, because it's not only the engagement between the leader and the employees or the leader and the individuals that, you know, that may be associated with the company or the organization that they're in, but it's also I would say really plays a lot into the engagement of the employee themselves in the work that they do on behalf of that organization. I mean, it's, I've read a lot recently, and I know it's been published like this quite a bit in Forbes and uh, HBR and all, all types of different outlets about the serious decline in employee engagement, really predominantly a lot of it tied to enjoyment of their work and the camaraderie or the interaction within the organizations. And what would be your thoughts on this, maybe a second tier, the second tier, second level of engagement. So you've got the engagement between the leader and the employee, but then that engagement really increasing the employee's engagement on behalf of the organization and work with clients and the project work that they're doing. This in a number of ways. And in, uh, in my book, Leading Leaders, I talk about three facets of the needs that the leader has to harmonize. So every organization has got needs, right? So if you're a public service, or, you know, if you're a public sector organization, you know, you're the Honolulu Department of Transportation or, you know, Honolulu County, something like that, or you're, you're a private AE firm or you're a government in, in you know, military, or whatever. Every organization has needs. They have a, a mission to accomplish and things that you have to do. And, and then every task, every individual project has needs as well, right? So there's things that you have to do to accomplish a particular job. If here in Kaneohe, we're working on a massive civil works project connecting the Kailua and Kaneohe 
sewage treatment plants, massive civil works project. And of course, there's a huge number of stakeholders, private, public, and a number of contractors that are all working together with the city and the county to get that done. And then each individual in, in your firm has got needs that, you know, they have talents, they have desires, they have career goals. And so the leader's job is to harmonize all those things. And I think when you do that, when you harmonize those things, you end up putting the right person in the right job. You prioritize the things that you're working on in a particular project in a way and assign people the right job so that it fulfill, it feeds their inner need for whatever it is that they're, they like to do. You know, some people love to crunch numbers on the boards and don't want to talk to people. And some people love talking to people and could care less about drawing pictures on AutoCAD, you know, and the trick is to put those two people in the right position so that they're whatever it is that feeds them. And it also gets the job done. And then I think there's a couple of companies, you know, Facebook and REI and Google come to mind. Uh, I know two of those are tech companies, but what they do very, very well and what some of these other companies that's consistently, Southwest Airlines is another one, that consistently give their employees a sense of mission. They help their employees connect to something larger than themselves. That's something that we do in the military pretty well because we're here to defend the Constitution of the United States. We are here to put our bodies in between the bad guys and our countrymen. And for the variety of reasons that people join the military, they sign up to that mission once they're in. And you fight for the man or woman on your right or left. Well, I think that same thing translates to the private sector. So REI is a great example, you know, and I, I just think so much of them. I've been an REI member since the mid-90s, and uh, I think they're a, a fabulous company, you know, and their mission is not to sell equipment or clothing. Their mission is to get people outside and to enjoy the wilderness and the, out, and the outdoors and to live healthy, fulfilling lives. And that mission energizes their team members. And REI consistently gets high marks for a great company to work for. You know, Facebook is another one famous for being a silo busting organization for an organization that doesn't operate in business silos, that encourages innovation, that operates uh, as if it, even though it's a huge company, you know, now operates still like it's, you know, a couple of guys in the back of the garage doing a website because, you know, they've got that energy. And so people connect with that. They're looking for ways to make Facebook better and constantly trying to improve and, and provide excellent service. Even uh, Google's famous motto, you know, don't be evil. But, uh, you know, so anytime that a company can give people a sense of mission, that they're not there just to draw a paycheck, that they are there to accomplish something bigger than themselves. You know, there's, there's a part of us as a human being that responds to that. And, you know, the most effective leaders, the most effective companies are able to give people that. In, in our own profession in civil engineering, you know, the, the, the engineering code of ethics, for example, you know, hold the safety of the public paramount. I mean, look what we do as engineers for society. We, we do the impossible. We build bridges across chasms. We haul people's trash away, even something as mundane as that, you know, and now – Engineers are on the forefront of doing things like fighting climate change by coming up with renewable energy sources and more sustainable ways of doing construction. You know, isn't that serving the greater good? Isn't that serving humanity? And isn't that something that any, no matter what your discipline, any engineer can really feel proud that they're part of? I, I think so. And I think when you tell people, it can help them connect as a leader to what they're doing to serve their fellow man or woman and, and to serve society. I think that sort of helping them connect to the larger breeds a kind of engagement that becomes kind of infectious among the employees. I think it's really important as we're having this conversation from the perspective of, of the civil engineering industry and our, our profession, that opportunity to be able to 
come back to the roots, you know, back to the engineering code of ethics, back to the history of our profession as civil engineers and the things that we have done to build society, to support society across the world in this, you know, what we're accustomed to. And, uh, and I think that's important to make that connection. And, that, you know, kind of the challenge, I guess, I would put out there to engineering CEOs and even directors of engineering organizations, if you happen to be listening to this, is you perhaps come back in and share with us through the comment section the mission of your organization. And then if you don't have a mission or your mission, you look at it and it's not one that inspires even you to take action, that it doesn't fire you up on the inside, that may be something that you want to take a look at. You know, what, what can you do with the other individuals that you work with, either your leadership team, if you are a company that's large enough to have one of those, or just some soul searching of your own as to what is it that makes you and energizes you to get out of bed every morning. So that's a great insight. And you're, you're absolutely right, Mickey, the engagement piece is kind of a two-way one and two-way street. And it's so important to allow people to be fulfilled and to be able to move forward in their career as well. So I want to ask now, because this really plays into this engagement part, and you brought up a good point a little bit earlier here. We were talking about building people forward and the fact that individuals through their engineering career are not going to remain in the same location. They're not going to remain in the same company. You and I came up through the military, and even within the military, although we may have worked for that organization for a number of years, you know, my guess is, is like like I, you never spent more than three years in a position. You were moving somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so as we look at leading leaders and building leaders, leadership development is something that both you and I are very familiar with. We've been extremely fortunate to have some amazing opportunities for, for not only formal and informal, but on-the-job training that we've gotten as well. But not every engineering organization has those opportunities or the resources to be able to support the development of leadership and the development of leaders within their organization. So what would you suggest maybe might be a few things that an engineering CEO could do to develop her leaders starting immediately that's that's really low cost and high return? Well, that's a great question. So I actually wrote about this on LinkedIn. I'll have to give you the link. So I'm a Cowboy fan. I grew up in Dallas. Fort Worth area. And I grew up during the Tom Landry, Tex Schramm area era. And, and I remember, you know, coach Landry and uh, Tex Schramm never recruited. They never went looking for a wide receiver or a linebacker or a quarterback. Almost never. It was pretty rare. What they did is they went to the tryouts and they looked for the best athlete because they knew that they could take that athlete and train him for anything. And I think that translates well into how we develop that sort of, of skill of looking for the, you know, looking for the best players, looking for the best athletes, and we'll find a place for that person. And so there's actually some pretty low cost ways, you know, big companies can afford to have leadership programs and development programs within their organizations. But if, you know, if you're a small firm, you know, maybe you're 20 people, you don't have the time or the energy or the resources to commit to building a, a program. And there, But there's lots of ways to do that without spending a lot of money, you know? So first of all, professional societies, you know, I'm a member of society of American military engineers and the air force association and a number of other professional societies and every discipline within our field of engineering has got its own professional society and they put on conferences, they put on monthly meetings locally. And I would really encourage everybody to be involved in a professional society of their choosing. I think that the networking opportunities and the leadership opportunities in that are are really second to none. You know, local colleges very often will partner with you. So we just had a 
And we do what's called officer professional development and, uh, and with our military and our civilians here in, our, in my unit. And so we partnered with a professor from Hawaii Pacific University, and we went on a re- uh, kind of a traced the battle of Nu'uanu that King Kamehameha here defeated uh, King Kalanikapele to uh, unify the islands of uh, Hawaii under his rule as the, and unified all the islands as the kingdom of Hawaii. So uh, the, you know, the professor was, was kind enough to donate his time. You know, we, we wrote him a nice thank you note. And we're very appreciative, but that was a history, a military history. But really, there's lots of opportunities for local colleges and, and professors who are, who are really anxious to share their knowledge and their expertise. And, uh, you know, for, for the cost of a lunch, sometimes you can have somebody coming in and, and talk to you and talking to you about that. And, you know, another thing that, that you can do, it costs a little bit of money, but the payback is enormous is, you know, maybe you, you cut your employees a, an hour off couple times a week so they can attend classes or let them go during the day so they can attend college classes on their own dime. You know, that costs the company a little bit, but not much. But, you know, the support of them getting their advanced degrees and then coming back then with a master's degree in their discipline or an MBA or something like that, you know, that's what you've just done is you've just enabled that employee, you, you know, to, uh, to grow. And even if you don't keep them, you know, that's a that's a network opportunity that you're going to have later. And they're always going to remember those people that supported them. And then, you know, lastly, one of the ones I think is a great opportunity is just brown bag seminars. So, you know, give your young engineers an opportunity to put it together. One of the best intern programs I ever saw was at the 10th Contracting Squadron at the Air Force Academy. And they were broken the code on how to hire interns in the Air Force and they had two intern programs. And so at any one time, they had 10 or 20 interns, uh, brand new accessions, most of them fresh out of college, working in the squadron. And so every month, they had a, a development opportunity. It was a lunch. that it was all, one of, They rotated each one of those interns, had an opportunity to lead that and uh, put together the program and bring in a guest speaker and make sure that everything was taken care of. And, you know, I think those are, those are low or no cost ways to develop your employees. And going back to the kind of we were talking about before is you demonstrate to another human being that you care, you know, that you really do care about them as humans, that they're not just a cog in the wheel or a resource to be used, you know, and, and that person is going to respond and then they're going to develop an enthusiasm for their work and for the company that then becomes infectious with their peers. So it's a little bit of investment in the leader's time and, and maybe a small investment in time or resources with the company, but the dividends are huge. Just to hit on two of these, because they're, you know, if you're an engineering firm owner and you're looking at, well, you know, I've got billable hour issues and I'm, you know, I'm trying to work through and uh, productivity issues from a bigger perspective, this involvement with the professional organizations is not only giving your employees these opportunities for leadership, but it's also engagement on behalf of your firm, your company. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got individuals that are out there now that are in these leadership roles other people are seeing them. They're having interactions with perhaps, especially if it's a, maybe a, some type of a trade organization or a community organization, your, your employee is building leadership skills, but it's also getting the name and the recognition and the brand of your engineering firm out there. And that can result in uh, potentially in business and other interactions that are going to be able to support the business going forward. So it's really, it's almost like planting seed cord. And I think the brown bags, you know, Mickey, you brought those up. That was something that I saw repeatedly throughout my career in the Air Force. I ran a number of those myself. You're absolutely right. I mean, just what a what a simple way to bring people together, almost no cost, especially if you have everybody bring their own brown bag, but it gives you that opportunity for people to get together and have conversations. And it can even be lessons learned on projects that are going on in your 
firm right now. It could be lessons learned about different uh, regulatory issues. So there's just a, a lot of different discussions that can take place. And it's a cross flow of information. So those are both great, great points. You're, you're exactly right. You know, I mean, so a lot of these things happen over lunch, right? Yep. So people got to eat anyway. You know, I've worked with Working Capital Fund, which is analogous to to a private sector firm where every hour is billable, but but everybody's going to be eating lunch anyway. So giving everybody an opportunity to make that hour that you were probably going to lose them for productivity and putting that to use and developing your employees, I think is exactly right. And uh, and having your firm's name out there as being you know, involved in the community. There was a, an article about three months ago on in the Income Magazine talking about how CEOs now or part of the way people are thinking of the way that you, the executive leadership and firms and that engagement is not just internal to your organization, but how that firm is perceived to be engaged and involved in the community. I think after so many decades of very fast uh, technological advance, we're learning the management tools about how to manage internal to your organization. That's all valuable stuff, but it doesn't mean anything if people think that you're living in a silo behind three-strand barbed wire fence on, and you don't, you only come out to, to collect a paycheck. So if the people, the perception of companies being involved in their communities changes how much those companies get business. Those companies that are involved get more business. Each engineering organization, each engineering company out there, it has its own culture. It has its own identity, its own personality. It could be based in, it could be built off of the, off of the individual who is the founder of that company Depending on how long that company's been around, it's going to have morphed. It'll grow. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And the optics of how that organization, how that company is engaged in the community, what it does, can resonate even beyond to with individuals who would never maybe come out to get your services. So it can have a lot of effect. So that's a really good, really good point. I want to ask now because I, I know that you have been involved over the last couple of years with some relatively major organizational strategy changes and have had a lot of change management experience in the military and in the Air Force. You get change management experience almost every day, but especially at your level, at a senior executive level, having to deal with some pretty significant organizational strategy changes. And that piece is is interesting. Really, the focus of this discussion today has really been on leadership. And so I kind of want to ask this question you know, it's more along the lines of we've got organizational, a major organizational change that's taking place. And this can be something that happens across any organization, doesn't matter if it's a private sector or public sector, where you have major strategy changes that are going to lead to realignment of business units, et cetera. There's that piece of it, which is very interesting. But the piece that I'm more interested in and hearing your thoughts on is how do you then, as a senior leader, take those very important strategic business imperatives and be able to manage that, maybe message isn't the right word, but to a certain extent it is, manage that message in a way that helps your employees remain engaged and to be able to cross the gap between what they know and where they have to be through that change management process. Because that can be a place where I could see employees losing engagement and then the organization having problems with that. So Share with us maybe some of your thoughts about how you've been able to handle and really be effective and successful in managing these major organizational strategy changes. Well, that's a great question too, Chris. So, you know, there's tons of techniques and there's tons of strategic planning tools, but, you know, I kind of like to think in some broad strokes, especially at my level. And 
I'm a surfer. I live here in Hawaii, so I'm pretty blessed. I live about a, about a mile from my uh, favorite surf spot down here in Kailua, Hawaii. So I like to think of, uh, I use a lot of surfing analogies, especially for the folks around here that grew up here because everybody knows about it. It's like football anyplace else. So, you know, first thing you do when you get to the beach is you stand on the beach and you look at the waves and you kind of look and see how they break in, where they break in, where's the water going in, where's the water going out. So it's kind of an, so that's an analogy for surveying the landscape. And, you know, as a leader, if you're looking at your feet, if you're looking at the sand instead of the water, then you're not leading anybody. You're not even leading yourself. You have to have your eyes on the horizon. And so it's the same thing with surfing. You really have to look out there on the horizon, survey where the waves are breaking. So in business and in life, that is understanding the environment that you're working in. Then once you make a plan, okay, this is where I'm going to paddle out to. This is the lineup. This is where it's breaking. Once you make a plan, then you, you hop on your board and you start paddling out. But uh, when, once you start paddling out, you know, now you're, you're making the change happen. So things are going to happen along the way. You know, people are going to get sick or, or there's, you know, in your organization as change starts happening, things are not going to always go according to plan. We have a saying in the military that no plan survives contact with the enemy. So once you start paddling out, the wind can change, the currents can change. And, uh, you know, you could get stuck in a spot, kind of get caught in the washing machine. And as a wave approaches, you have to make a decision. You know, do I poke the nose underneath it? Do I try to go over it or do I roll over and go under the wave, you know, jump bail off my board and go off uh, underneath the board and then come back on the other side? And so, you know, there will be drama that goes on with change. Change is very difficult. There are physiological changes that go along with people and humans. There are social changes that happen to humans and groups when they go through significant change, especially if that change involves, you know, am I going to have my job tomorrow? And so just like when you're paddling out and that wave's approaching, you know, you have to gauge the scope of the problem. You have to gauge the direction and you got to make a decision about how you're going to handle it. Are you going to go over the top of it? Are you going to go underneath it? Are you going to try to, you know, take it in the face and, and uh, head on? And then once you get out there, once you get in the lineup, you know, when you're surfing, once you're ready to put your plan into action, well, then you got to get on the wave. So you can make all the strategic planning choices that you want. Just like I can stand on the beach and watch the waves all day long, but that's not going to get me on my board. So once you actually get in the lineup and you see the wave going, you got to start paddling and, and paddle into the wave and ride it. And so just like when you're executing your strategic plan, you're going to have to start executing. You're going to have to start moving towards your goal and get on that, you know, metaphorical wave and then watch the wave. You know, this is things don't stay static when you once you're on the wave either. So you have to make adjustments. You may have to turn. There's maybe somebody in the way or whatever. And so you have to be alert. Again, you, if you're looking at your board, you know, then you're not, you're not surfing. Yeah. You, you need to be looking out there and looking for where, where the wave's going to fall off or where there's somebody in front of you. So things can happen during the change management process. You got to be alert for, it and you got to be able to make adjustments. So that, that's kind of how I think about, it. you know, survey the landscape, figure out where we're going. You start moving toward the goal and forming your plan. And then once you get out there, once you're ready to execute the plan, once you get in the, the metaphorical lineup, you got to paddle into the wave and go for it. Keep your eyes on the horizon. That's awesome. I, I love the analogy as well. As well, it's great with the uh, with the visual there to be able to try to put that to an actual use as you as you move through things. So that's great. I appreciate that. I would expect and suspect that as you've gone through this organizational change and helping people work through this, that you have found yourself having to invest quite a bit of time. I would say in mentoring and coaching. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'd like to hear a little bit about your thoughts on. Maybe the difference between mentoring and coaching, because there is there is a difference, and I'm curious what your thoughts might be on that. But then how you have been able to use your time as a leader 
to focus that mentoring and coaching to not only help people go through this change, but then also the other elements of, of your work as far as strategic planning is concerned, stakeholder management, so interaction with other individuals, both those that you work for, and we'll just call them clients that you serve, and then uh, the day-to-day operational piece of the business. Yeah, so, you know, especially when you're going through a significant organizational change, and I think this is true no matter what sector of the world you're working in, you just have to talk a lot. You have to communicate a lot. And uh, I do that. There's, I have a lot of techniques. Everybody's got their techniques. Obviously, some things you can do in a group, some things you got to do by email, some things you do one-on-one. You have to be alert and know your people. And so when you see somebody who's really at the end of their rope, you have to be able to take them aside. So that's when the mentoring and coaching comes along. You know, it's where you you take them aside and, hey, what's wrong? What's going on with you? You've Hopefully, you've developed enough of a trust relationship so they feel that they can confide and accept a little bit of coaching. I think I see mentoring more like um, more of a in a listening mode and, you know, questioning, asking questions. How, what about this? Have you thought about that? Whereas coaching is more directive. It's more guiding. Hey, do it this way. This is what I think is working. You know, if you get a, you grew up in Texas, there's only two sports in Texas, football and spring football, right? So we played football and, and, you know, our coaches would call the plays. Our coaches would show us the techniques, but we had to execute. And so hopefully what they did is inspire us and give us the right skills. You know, a mentor is more of a, a sounding board. A coach is really about imparting knowledge and skills to you that you can use. You've got to be aware, especially when you're going through significant organizational change, when you have to be able to survey both individuals and the group as a whole and know when they're with you and know when they're starting to get frayed, F-R-A-Y-E-D. Then you got to be able to respond to that. You got to have a, and you can't do it by yourself. You have to have enough of a leadership team in place so that you're not the only coach and you're not the only mentor, but that your leaders, you know, the leaders that work with you on your team also have the ability to reach in and, and mentor and coach and pull along and be a sounding board and help the people on their teams so that the whole organization works together. You know, and it's the same thing with working with your clients and, and stakeholders is they can get nervous if they see you going through organizational thrash and it could be something as simple as changing your logo or changing your motto. You know, I you used to be a coat and tie kind of organization and now you're wearing embroidered polos. You know, you can't just assume that your clients and customers and stakeholders and teammates and colleagues understand what you're doing. You got to communicate with them, even when you think it's self-evident what you're doing, because in an information vacuum, people will fill that information in with what they think is true. And it may or may not be the actual truth. So communication, communication, communication. And, you know, that's why those that's those professional societies come in to that, you know, the, the standing up and giving a little five minute talk about your firm or or just having people at the table at lunch talking about what's going on at your firm or, or in your department, contributing to professional journals, con- uh, posting on LinkedIn. You know, social media is enormous, both internal and external communication tool. Uh, and then the personal touch, you know, leaders going over and having lunch with their colleagues in another firm or, or uh, their clients, you know, or meeting with them or talking on the phone and communicating, hey, here's what we're doing. You know, we're we want to be out in the field. We want to be known as a, as a kind of organization that is not afraid to get our hands dirty. So we're ditching our ties in our office attire and we're going to more field attire. And that's to communicate that we are committed to being with you in the field and we're not afraid to work hard. You know, even something as simple as that with your clients is, is valuable. Do you think it's important for senior engineer leaders? So you're the, the CEO of an engineering firm or director of a public sector engineering organization to have a mentor or coach? 
Oh, I absolutely think that's it's it's vital. I mean, I do. I have several mentors and coaches, you know, and, and I, I've taken uh, the opportunity to to get coached by an executive coach a couple of times. And because, uh, you know, you, you just can't stop learning. And as humans, we're always going to have blind spots. So I've got people inside my organization that I count on to tell me, you know, when uh, they think I'm I'm not communicating well or I'm not doing something the right thing, you know, they know they've got my okay and in fact encouragement to come close the door and go, all right, sir, your fly's open. <laughs> kind of let me know figuratively. I hope it's not that's not real, but it, you know, to let me know what's going on. And it's the same thing, you know, in in my hobby. You know, I have a hobby as a speaker and a writer, so I've got several mentors that mentor me on writing and speaking. When when I publish a book, and I've had the great privilege to publish six now, uh, I don't edit them myself. I, you know, I hire an editor to go through it, and usually somebody who's who I've never heard, who I've never worked with before. So I make sure they're looking at it with fresh eyes. So even senior people need somebody to bounce ideas off of and and to get advice from. And, and I be willing to bet that there's probably not a, even of the largest companies i'd be willing to bet that the ceos as directors don't there's, there's probably none of them that don't have some kind of mentor coach sounding board external to their organization that they rely on for advice i think that's a key to success you're 100 on target with this i mean it's a it's an issue of perspective of being able to gain and develop perspective that you we're going to have a hard time being able to wrap your mind around. A lot of this comes into cognitive biases that we develop, and all of us are well aware of the fact, especially at the, in, the, in the leadership arena, and if you are at a senior, even mid-level leadership, you've no doubt read something about the importance of being able to have perspective, not only on, on projects or even design work that you may be handling, but especially when it comes to each of our own individual personal, what I'll call our personal business, being able to get that perspective. And then the leadership component of it as well, which is so important. It plays into so many different aspects of it. So that's just a great, great insight. And thank you for sharing the fact that you, you do have a mentor and a leader because there's a lot, I think a lot of individuals may uh, may not openly come out and just say, yeah, I've got, you know, I've got a mentor or, or a, a coach that I'm working with. And, uh, and that's unfortunate because I think that there really is a lot of benefits that can come from that. So thank you for sharing that with us. Now, you mentioned that you've recently published your sixth book. So... Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? And, and at the same time, tell us a little bit about where people can go and find out about more about what you're doing as far as your writings are concerned. My book number six is the, called The Five Bs for Starting Out. And it's a it's just kind of a little pocket book. It's, it's pretty short. It's about 120 pages. It's kind of a, I, may, I wrote it to be easy, accessible, and, and non-threatening. But The Five Bs, it came out of a speech I used to give to the young airmen, actually. And it's be proud of who you are. You know, everybody has something to contribute, and so do you. And be free. The difference between authentic freedom and counterfeit freedom means that uh, you have the ability to choose what's good for you, that you're not being held bound by your own or somebody else's passions or, or appetites. Being virtuous, and I use Aristotle's four cardinal virtues. And, uh, you know, I think of the four cardinal virtues as being guardrails for success in life. You know, it's to keep you on the road, right? That you can drive anywhere you want to on the road. And as a matter of fact, you can go through the guardrail if you really want to, but it's not a good idea. <laughs> Be balanced. Keep your mind, body, and spirit nourished. And the, the most, the healthiest, most successful, and happiest people I've ever met were the people that that nourished all aspects of, of their human person, their mind, their body, and their spirit. And then be courageous. You know, courage comes in many forms: physical and moral courage. You know, most of us won't have the opportunity in our lives to demonstrate physical courage, although I talk a little bit about that. I think that's inspiring for us. But moral courage is something that we can we can demonstrate on a daily basis. And so 
you know, that's what it is. It's a, it's a pretty short little uh, book. We spend so much time, especially for young people, but not just for young people talking about don't do this and don't do that. And some don'ts are good. I mean, don't walk in the freeway. That's a good don't, but we hear negative don'ts a lot. And so what I really wanted to do is I wanted to give my airmen and, and now everybody who reads the book, a vision of who to be, you know, a positive vision about who to be, to be healthy and successful. And uh, all my books are available at lulu.com. The, uh, right now the five beasts only available on Lulu. It'll be, it'll be available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble here and in Kindle very soon. But leading leaders, my other book, as well as patio wisdom, which is a coffee table book I wrote with my brother, those are all available at Amazon. They're also available at, uh, at mickeyaddison.com. Just uh, look for the tabs on the top, and, and they'll be available there. That's fabulous, Mickey. Thanks. And, and uh, we'll have all of those linked up in the show notes so you can go over to uh, civilengineeringpodcast.com and be able to get access to where those are at. Well, Mickey, we're into the final section of the show here. I just have a couple more questions for you. We just talked about books that you've written. I've read Leading Leaders, and uh, I've got my copy of uh, 5Bs on its way maybe give us a couple books that you've read that you might recommend to the civil engineers that are listening out there that you that you've read regularly or maybe books that you give out regularly that have helped you in your professional and or personal development. Thanks. And I appreciate you buying my books. Thank you. So all the proceeds, by the way, I'll mention to you while I'm on active duty, all the proceeds for leading leaders goes to the wounded warrior project. So I appreciate your support on that. First of all, I, I love biographies. So I think really any biography of any leader that you, that you care to read, I think is a good one. I, couple of books. Uh, one I just finished, which I think is fabulous for this time in the 21st century, is a book called The Silo Effect by a woman named Gillian Tellett. And uh, Ms. Tellett is a cultural anthropologist from the UK, and she did some analysis during 2008 of the credit crash, the financial crisis of 2008. And what she discovered was that a lot of the reasons for the crash were because senior executives were accepting far more risk on these financial instruments uh, than they thought they were accepting because of the way that different silos within the organization, in this case, very large banks, didn't communicate with each other. And uh, so she has some, some, from a cultural anthropologist perspective, some good and bad examples of the way companies operate to, uh, to share information, to grow, to be agile. Ag- agility you know, is one of the new buzzwords for modern management theory. And I think it's a great book. I, I'd recommend that to everybody. And, and then a book that goes kind of way back that I always give out to my lieutenants, and, and it's it's a it is a military book, but it's got some great just personal leadership lessons as well. And it's called The Defense of Hill Seven Eighty One by James McDonough, and it's an allegory. It's a little humorous. It's about a lieutenant colonel, army lieutenant colonel named ATAC Always, and Lieutenant Colonel Always dies eating an MRE and goes to purgatory, and and his sin is arrogance that he looked down on everybody who wasn't just like him as an airborne ranger and. So his, his sentence in purgatory is he has to fight real battles in purgatory with uh, his sergeant major, who is his guardian angel, until he and his, his team win a battle. And, he, and he, he does that. He has a growth in leadership from, uh, you know, hey, I'm just here to get a job done to investment in his people. And some of the lessons in the book are, are purely military. If you're not military, they probably won't have much, uh, much interest. But many of the lessons are just good leadership techniques for how senior leaders especially can manage their time and communicate effectively to lead their teams to victory. So I, I think it's a great book. I, I hand that one out to my lieutenants a lot. All right. Thanks, Mickey, for sharing that. Those are uh, those are two great books. I've got 781 on my list now uh, in my, my reading queue. 
So I've got one final question today, and that is the critical civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got onto an elevator with a civil engineer and had 30, 40 seconds with him or her, and you had to give one piece of advice in that short period of time, what would it be? Well, I guess I would just say be curious. A lot of the success that I've had as an, as an engineer and as an officer in the military and as a, you know, just as a man has been because I've been curious about what was going on around me. And when you're curious, you learn a lot and you find out, uh, you start asking questions, you find out about those people around you and you learn about connections that you have with people and, and opportunities that you wouldn't have known you exist if you didn't start asking questions. And, you know, that curiosity goes into everything, goes into, into your professional life, your personal life. It's a core attribute of those people who have long lives is they're curious or constantly learning. And, and you never know what little piece of information or what skill you pick up is going to be useful later. I, I never in a million years thought that learning how to surf was going to be uh, valuable in, in managing change as a senior executive in the Air Force. But by doggone, it sure has been. And so I, I think that, uh, you know, I would tell a young guy or gal to just be curious. And then I would add to that, in addition to being curious and, and lifelong, be committed to your profession. We have to be competent as engineers. If we're going to call ourselves engineers, we have to be committed to that and, and be good at it. And if you're curious about the world around you and, and you're committed to excellence in your profession, I think you're going to go far. And I think as civil engineers that are out there listening to this, we have a, a great opportunity to be curious every day in the work that we do. So I appreciate you sharing that insight with us and uh, definitely something for everyone to be able to take to heart. Well, Mickey, thanks a lot for joining me today. And thank you for your service and the leadership that you bring every day. Thanks a lot. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Chris. It's been a great privilege. It was an honor to serve with you, and I'm privileged to work with you again. Absolutely, as we move into another phase. So everyone, please remember that you can find the show notes for the episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. While you're there, you can leave Anthony and I some feedback in the form of a question by selecting the Submit a Question button. Or you can leave us some feedback on the podcast. We're always looking for that feedback so that Anthony and I can make changes, adjustments as we need to, to bring you the highest quality program, bring you the best quality information that we can to help you build and lead an amazing civil engineering career. And with that, until next time, I wish you all the best in your civil engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.